Original content. Content. Compelling discussions. Audio on demand. This is a Podcast 225 production. Synonyms of the word change. Alter. Make different. Become different. Adjust. And every day, we evolve. We adapt. We change. And this is where we talk about it. This is The Clay Young Show. All right, all right. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to The Clay Young Show here at podcast225.com. It's on the iHeartMedia app and, of course, on the Apple Podcast app. And you can check it out on weekends airing on Talk 107.3 and Baton Rouge. Hopefully you're doing well. I can't believe I'm about about to say this, but it's November. Man, I don't know at what point 2021 hit the gas, but this thing is smoking as it's getting out of here. So, wow, we'll be talking about turkey recipes before you know it. Anyway, got a a very interesting show ahead for you today. We're going to talk with District Attorney Hiller Moore about crime across the country and specifically here in Louisiana. And we're going to highlight an organization that is doing fantastic work in the way of dealing with pancreatic cancer. I think it's necessary work. And you'll get to hear from one of the founders of the organization, Elvin Howard Jr. And actor Gary A. Williams. That's right. He's going to be on with us. He's done everything from television to film. And he is lending his name, his voice, his face to advocating on behalf of dealing with pancreatic cancer. And in the interview, he will tell you why it is so important to him. But let's start with the heavy stuff. Let's talk about crime and how it's been happening here in and around East Baton Rouge Parish and across the country as well with District Attorney Hiller Moore. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. The issues, the policies, the people. This is The Clay Young Show. Back with District Attorney Hiller Moore in the 19th JDC here in Louisiana. Uh, we were going to do this last week, had some some technical stuff go on, so we pushed it. And, and Hiller, it's interesting because from last week to this week, there has been more well yeah. tragedy in, in the city. So I, I saw an article that quoted the feds last year that said the crime rate went up by 30% uh, in 2020. And that there were uh, more than 21,000 homicides across America. And it talked about how, because the the title of the article was, does America have a crime problem or a violence problem? Because property crime went down and it, it theorizes because so many people were home that there were fewer burglaries because people were at the house. I think the article was accurate. And, and, and so now you transition to 2021, and we've seen this spike in domestic violence cases. It's been going up, but, I mean, it's, 
it, it's really a spike yes. this year. So you've seen the numbers across the board. To what yeah. do you attribute what's going on? I thought that, I think the article hit it. Yeah, uh, it, it talked about it all. And overall, crime is is, is the same. It's, yeah, uh, has not increased. Right. I think a lot of reporting went down because mm-hmm. of COVID. Uh, less police. Police are distracted in all kinds of places. But unfortunately, homicide and domestic violence uh, increased and increased steadily, and is still rising. We haven't leveled off yet, and that's true across the country. Uh, we're at 125 murders here this year. We just had another one this week to make yeah. 125. Yeah. And 33 of those are domestic violence or intimate partner. The most related. ever? Is most that the ever. most ever? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Last year was 19. Then we may have had a year that had 20, but back uh, several years ago, we had two, then four, then 10, then yeah. 12. Yeah. This year, 33. And that's uh, that number includes some justifiable homicides as well. And we've had four or five this year. We had just one this week where the police have indicated it was a justified uh, homicide. So... That, I think, is also related to COVID, yeah. related to stress and all these other issues that are going on right now. You said something on a call that, no, actually, it was, it was at a press conference. You, you And I had never heard it put that way when people talked about crime and the impact of COVID. And you said it was like we had a year and a half long summer where there were people who were home and didn't have a whole lot to do and out right. and it contributed. Could you kind of expound upon that? Summer's the, summer was when everyone is out, uh, don't have a lot really to do. And when you don't have a lot to do and you're prone to violence, uh, you have more time to do it. And when school shut down, school was just virtual. Uh, we had more folks that were not sitting in the seat and they were out on the street. Yeah. And it made back to back to back to back summers. And I think that's why you saw the big numbers. There have been, I just had a conversation with Michael Adams and Darius Lannis with the 100 Black Men of Greater mm-hmm. Baton Rouge about us needing to focus, us being community, needing to focus more on the causes of the behavior that creates crime. And, and we, because we don't, we talk about the back end arrests, right. you know, what police are doing, what your office is doing. I don't think there's enough conversation about what can be done to catch these kids before no. they end up on the wrong side of the line. What do you think about so, that? Yeah, the uh, criminogenic factors. But I think we need, really need to start with families and education. Yeah. And then, then you can get to the other factors. So if you fix those two, the other factors kind of go away. And that's, I think, a big push. You know, hats off to uh, Superintendent Otis Nar- uh, Narcisse right now. Cedo uh, yes. Narcisse. Narcisse. Who is Otis Narcisse? I was going to. Uh, he, um, I think he's doing a fabulous job. Yeah. I think he's got a lot to offer here. He just had a visit down in Miami-Dade, I yeah. believe, with the yeah. county there. And um, he's got a good vision for Baton Rouge, and we need to get behind that vision. Because until we fix public education, crime's going to follow the way that public education goes. It's not been going well recently. Mm-hmm. And I'm all behind what he wants to do, and I think everyone needs to get behind them. Uh, we also we used to think about getting the kids at 13 yeah then you can save them well my number is now. now going way to you know prenatal and that's where i am now if you're not reading to your child in the womb then we're way behind yeah you can't catch up from that uh that lag right there so we really need to do more for our kids because we're failing kids in the public school system although we have very good hard workers we mm-hmm. uh we need to do a better job I see because we, you know, with, through truce and and work in the community, we have walked in and engaged with people in inner city communities around the capital region, specifically in Baton Rouge. There is so much value in those neighborhoods in terms of 
the people who want the same thing as people who live in country clubs. Yeah. Right. There yeah. are people who live there who want the same safety. They want the same regular life as everyone else. But on the outside, people don't seem to think that. And I think that that is a flaw in how we are addressing this because people don't often assume the majority of people there are not the problem. Would you no. agree with that? Absolutely. And so they want the bad element off the streets as much as everybody else does. Sure. Talk I mean, about that a little so bit. Until you walk in someone else's shoes. Right. You just don't know. So you obviously have walked in neighborhoods yeah. with all of us yeah. and you see these people. These people are in a rough spot yep. financially, yeah. education-wise, yep. mental health, you name it, race issues. Stop. You yep. Add everything you want to add on mental health. Uh, these people want the police in their neighborhood as much as you want police in your neighborhood. And they want good policing. They want good education. They want their child to do better than they are. Just everything mm-hmm. you want, that's what they want. And yep. they're just starting from a different level. And until people really got to see how these people are living right now, or I would call it surviving right yeah. now, uh, that you really don't know. And then you meet them. Look, the last time it, you were at a walk, there were some kids that were kids that we have to deal with mm-hmm. in a different way. And they, we saw them walking with guns and run from one house to the other. While at the same time, people that live there, they're running to their house to want to stop and pray with the yeah. police and deputies yep. to say, when are you coming back? Yep. Can you help me with this? Yep. So, yeah, it's just a very few small bad actors, but the overwhelming majority of people in the neighbors that we, um, that we say is 05 and 02, which is not the rest way to do it but that's right. where they are um those are good people so we should say the good people in 05 and 02 and they're overwhelmingly there because we don't talk about that and you talked about the the issues of race you know i can i believe a person can have a racial bias and not even know it just because of their lack of exposure to to folks who live in these areas yeah. and then of course there are the intentional douchebags who are racist yeah. but but then there are people who say things not realizing do you understand that 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 doesn't make up the majority of people who live over there yeah, it's either color yeah it don't matter what your color is you right. have that bias that you really don't know and until you're able to um, open your mind and speak and listen to other people that don't look like you uh, whether it's color or nationality mm-hmm. or whatever you probably ne- never going to get over whatever bias you may have that you don't even know you have so you have to be able to walk with other people and listen mm-hmm. and it's uh it's easy to do once you get there but you have to put yourself in that position as the district attorney, and this is going to be a, a, an interesting topic I want to get into, you see the repeat offenders, the frequent flyers. The question a lot of people have is when I read an article or see a story about someone who has been in and out of prison and in some cases who's got bodies on the streets and who's out again, my question is, why, why is this person out? So what is that? Well, again, it'd be hard to answer generally, but on a case-by-case, I could tell you specifically why they're out. But we see a number of this. We see this happen. You have to, you know, so it's, the police get to arrest based on probable cause. Mm -hmm. Uh, DAs can only convict beyond a reasonable doubt, and that's beyond a reasonable doubt, 12-0 unanimous. Yeah. It's a big burden. And so you have to really have everything in place. Otherwise, a jury's not going to convict. And so, you know, we... That's the tough part is what kind of case do you have? Can you actually make to convict someone? And then from there, how long do you put that person in jail? Uh, you know, we have over incarceration. Uh, you know, some agree or disagree with that. Uh, there are some people that need to be incarcerated. Yeah. And there's a, oh, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people are very bad people that need to stay away for a long time. There are people who yeah. are in prison 
for drug charges, mar- marijuana, something like that, who are in prison and people who've actually put bodies on the streets are out walking around. That's upside down. Yeah, so you could find anyone in any jail and make some kind of case, but I want to make sure the listeners realize I, I don't. I think you can shoot a shotgun through the prisons, and I want you to hit someone that's in there just for marijuana. It's just not happening. Doesn't happen. Maybe it happened in years past. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't happen. Now, what we get a bad knock on is that you'll go through the prison, you'll see someone who's in there for possession of marijuana, maybe pounds and pounds, okay. and possession of cocaine. You're going to say, well, wait, that person's a nonviolent offender. Why is he in jail? Well, you don't know that. Right. He also had a semi-automatic weapon, and it's his second and third offense. And we dismissed the weapon charge mm-hmm. to let him plead to cocaine and gave him a sentence of five or ten years. And in five or ten years, you're going to do 30 percent of your yeah. five or ten years. So you have to look, drill down, and you can't just look at what the charges that he pled to or was allowed to plead to. So you have to look at everything behind the scene. You had a uh, this was several years ago, less than 10 years ago. You had a bunch of district attorneys from around the country here in Louisiana. And there was a big discussion about reform of of how the process worked. And and I don't know if people remember that. But and then there was something here in Baton Rouge as well with with DAs from the parts of the country. There is a discussion going on about how the criminal justice system works as it relates to sentencing and punishment. Where is that right now? Still a moving target. I mean, th- everything changes. Everything is fluid right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, things have kind of gone one way, and it's uh, defund the police. Now it's refund the police and increase the police. Yeah. So that pendulum has swung very quickly. Yeah. I mean, you could look at things going around the country. And so now more people are back on the, hey, look, there's a lot of crime going on. And right. They're right by the violent crime, and that's what's affecting people, and they want that stopped. Right. I don't care where you are. They want right. to stop, and they want those people in jail. Right. So... Um, that's that's what we're front and center on right now is we have so much so many murders going on now that's what we have to focus on and those people need to be uh, attention paid to them and uh but you know what some of the discussions are when should you sentence someone and should you review that sentence maybe years later when you're not quite as mad at that person that you were at the time of the offense the time of the sentencing uh so that's you know should be should, we should be right on crime not too tough and not not tough enough where that balance is it depends on where you land on if it's social. about it, it can't be about putting on a show it's got to no. be about what the law is and, and how it's supposed to work correct and what's adequate what's what kind of help is someone getting in jail uh building trust tough. i mean that yeah let's talk about that i mean it is tough there's there's a lot of history that has contributed to the inability of especially you know black communities to trust the criminal justice system even though there have been tremendous strides made there is still a lot of ground to cover and i know that that's something that law enforcement here you the chief the sheriff have been a part of as being in the communities i mean it kind of kind of talk about why that's so tough but also why it's so necessary well for years i mean we're talking about 200 years things have been lopsided where the mm-hmm. uh states and the legislature have always the hard work, and I sometimes I may say the dirty work, mm-hmm. they made police do the work. And so mm-hmm. you know, the people at the other end of that brunt has been uh, black Americans yep. and does. And so you're making police do the work that legislators passed. And so who are you going to be mad at? You're going to be mad at the police because that's someone's picking you up. You're not mad at the firemen, you're mad at the police. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's years of that that you're going to now have to recover from. It's tough to do. Uh, but I think the way that you do it is you, you're seeing more and more 
black and minorities in, in law enforcement. Sure. And you know, I guarantee you've seen it at my office, and yeah. it makes my office better yep. and stronger. And when you have a black man, woman, giving a message that to a jury that this person is guilty of this offense because you hurt another person, mm-hmm. and that person happens to be black and the victim and defendant are black, that's a more powerful statement than coming from someone else, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and it gives us more balance, and someone gets to see someone that looks like them, it makes a big difference. And it makes our office stronger, to tell you the truth. I mean, listening to other people's backgrounds and where they come from makes you think differently about how you want to uh, impact crime and what you what your reaction is to that. Because that's how you learn, right? Listening yeah, because I mean, look, I'll say things, and um, Jermaine or Ashley or someone of them say, did you understand what you just said? I said, yeah, it was pretty clear. He said, well, listen to this other side. Oh, hell. Uh, okay. <laughs> Now, uh, yeah, I got it, uh, but I wasn't thinking of that. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. didn't mean to, but it just didn't. Now that you mentioned it, but if you don't open your ears to it, it's, it's going to get away from you. Do you see this national trend of violence subsiding any over the, the yeah. coming years? Yeah, it's got to. I mean, it just has to stop. And I see it. You know, what do you base that stop. upon? These things kind of come and go in, in waves, and we see this happen often. And... Um, I think the public's pretty much tired of it right now. Mm-hmm. And it's got to come from a groundswell up from the community to say, look, we just have to stop this. And I think once this, the COVID goes away, people kind of get back to somewhat normal. Yeah, I think you're going to see things will slow down. But it's got to come from the people. People have to be mad and angry and upset that this has to stop. So here is a, here is a quandary, and I'll, I'll say this and then we'll, we'll wrap up. The quandary is the majority of the people who are committing the crime in these neighborhoods are not the majority of the people who live there. You would agree with that? Yes. And most of us who don't live in areas where the crime is rampant don't ever really see those areas to see how bad it is or the realities that you and I are talking about, correct? And I think until some of that changes, it's going to take a while longer because if 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 most of the people black white green whatever who don't live in tough communities disinvested communities were to say okay let's try to help this area and i don't mean like people say hand out i mean like get involved policy all of that that's one of the faster ways to make this better is it not yeah so um you know i think that we should organize bus tours or walking tours how many people would take us up on it though hiller (laughs) there you go so um uh, so, yeah, if you could yeah. have people uh, walk with us where we walk and yeah. see what we see. And, you know, somehow you can't make it mandatory, obviously. But if someone wants to volunteer and walk with us, mm-hmm. come see the other side and see maybe your reaction will be different to why they did what they did. Or I challenge why they're doing what they're doing. And, but it'd be really insightful for them to do. But some maybe just want to criticize and point the finger and it's easy to do. Easy to be loud. And you can be right you know, that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. But... Maybe you understand a little better why they're doing what they do, why they have the attitude they have, and let's maybe dig in, try to do something to fix it. All that we have- look, I don't care what happens in where you live, what happens in 05, and let's I hate to pick on 05, but let's just say 05, 02, whatever. That affects everything, every in part business, of the community, from Exxon yeah. to yep. you name it, to LSU, yep. Yep. affects us all. Yep. And so we better fix the, it's the weakest link, better fix them all, or it's going to hurt us all. We understand mental health better as a country now because of how it's being talked about. No doubt. We, the stigma of asking for help if you have a mental illness is not what it was 25 years ago. And that is better for 
all people, right? I think the same thing has to happen here. Understanding root causes that create these realities and then being able to say, okay, now I get why this is happening. Let's do something about it. That's an effective way to get to a solution, I believe. Yes, I mean, calling out the problem is good and identifying the problem is good. Seatbelts, smoking. There you go. Uh, it was the, the media, the national people got around. Oh, it's an issue. Mm-hmm. And they fixed, uh, we're on the way to fixing those problems. But we're afraid to talk about it with uh, crime and that. And we really need to fix that. Uh, but, you know, people still have to be held accountable. And I really would like to see but what we're really lacking, I think, nationwide is people that are... I mean, mainly black African-American people that are really good people that are invested in the community. Which is the majority. I'm yeah. talking about yeah. more leaders yeah. now. Yeah. Okay, To call out when someone kills another, when there's something really bad going on, man, I think we could all rally around and say, look, this is wrong. Right. This should not happen. Yeah. It shouldn't happen in our community because yep. it's overwhelmingly you know, saturated in that community. Yeah. We have to say together, we can't condone it. And it seems now that Folks are not uh, upset when they're called out to be called a murderer. They put in jail. They send videos around. And it's no one says, hey, man, it's just wrong. You right. shouldn't be doing that, except for the victim's family. But right. if we as a community could do that and let people know, man, it's just wrong. Listen, it's it's. I agree with you 100% on that, that, that people of color have to be more willing to call out people of color when crime happens. But, you know, at the same time, America didn't have the most shining moment when George Floyd was killed because there were people on television trying to justify what that guy did. That was not a great moment either. So I, you know, said what I said at first, but you also too have to be willing to say that was wrong. I don't care if he was a cop. That was wrong. Killing in in general. Right. So not just particular killings, but yes, in general, any killing that's not justified. Yes. Well, listen, in, in a few weeks, I'd love to have you back to, to talk about the, the way the year has gone. Hopefully it'll go down by then. <laughs> well, so, I, I hope so, man. Thanks for coming in. But look, you know, that 33%, 33 murders out of 125 of uh, DV is a big number. We need to be mindful of that. Is there any, is there any resource or anything about that you want to make people aware of? Just uh, to use the Family Justice Center. Yeah. It's, uh, it's open to everyone that has any domestic violence related issues or domestic issues. It's on Government Street. Look up the Family Justice Center. We have a lot to offer there. Yeah, I mean, it's been a bad, yeah. bad year. And it's run the spectrum of ages, this yes. domestic violence. And even in some cases, women who have shot men, women who have been the aggressor in the in the domestic violence scenario that's that's obviously not the majority and that's an anomaly but it has happened but women have defended themselves this year and killed their attackers and they were justified in what they did yep don't want to get to that but well uh, you know the family justice center and so you can you can find it like you said in government street here on government street here in baton rouge well thank you brother appreciate it Good to be here, Clay. The only interactive podcast in the capital city that lets you help solve a crime. There was a shooting. Okay, is someone shot? Yes, someone is shot. The Crime Stoppers Podcast with Clay Young. Just some suspicious people running through the parking lot before. Real stories. It was my first love. Real crimes. Real people. Real justice. The Crime Stoppers Podcast with Clay Young, exclusively at podcast225.com. New Orleans High School seniors, graduation and the next step will be here before you know it. Next Level NOLA is accepting early decision applicants until December 1st. 
Next Level NOLA is a free one-year bridge to your future. Earn college credits while completing internships and on-the-job learning opportunities. That's right, you heard me. Earn college credits while completing internships and on-the-job learning opportunities. It's simple. Visit nextlevelnola.org. Be part of a cohort of Next Level NOLA fellows that lift each other up. The program is completely free. That's right, completely free. Don't wait. Take 15 minutes to apply at nextlevelnola.org. Nextlevelnola.org. That's nextlevelnola.org. Your future awaits at Next Level NOLA. Unedited, unfiltered, undisputed. You're listening to The Clay Young Show. Back with Elvin Howard Jr. with the Elvin Howard Sr. Pancreatic Cancer Advocacy Foundation. I got through that in one take. And joining us uh, by way of phone is the tremendous actor Gary A. Williams, who is uh, out west and who is going to participate in the virtual fundraiser by way of a video that he produced. Gentlemen, how are y'all? Great, great, great. Having a great day. It's a great day in Louisiana. The weather is great. Um, Just happy to be here. Gary, I don't want to go. I don't want to go weather versus weather with you. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I think we're going to win. It's foggy right now, but we're going to win. We're going to hit eighty degrees. So, well, listen. No, we can't compete. We could have competed with you in the weather game yesterday, just not today. Yeah, not today. So, Gary, it's it's uh, it's so great to have you on with us. You've had a, a long and illustrious career in film and in television. And I said to you before we started a second ago, I wanted to tell you the first place I saw you. And I've seen you do a number of things. I saw you in Boston Legal. I've seen you in movies. But I was thinking, I, I've seen him somewhere even longer ago. And I remember really? you from... Wait, was, uh, hold on. I wasn't like creeping around your backyard. Right? I wasn't doing one of those things. No, so. no, 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 no. That wasn't you. Okay. That wasn't okay. you. That, that wasn't you. Uh, so okay. a few years ago, earlier, I remember you being in two or three episodes of the TV show In the Heat of the Night. <laughs> that was one of the first things I well, ever did. Really? In television. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, and 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 back then, like, started in Georgia. So now, of course, Georgia is a hub for shooting. Right. There was not much there. So if you were a black actor, you could get away with a lot. Like you, like I was on one episode, and then like, hey, okay, grow your hair out, and then come back as a totally different character. Like, <laughs> nobody will ever know. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. So that's so. Yeah. Tell me about getting into acting. I think that for a lot of people, finding your passion is very important. At what point did you find yours, and then what was that process like? I'm gonna let me just tell everybody right now. Uh, hi, 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 America and other places. This is Gary Anthony Williams. Getting into acting was super simple. All I had to do was enroll in high school for some class, let the computer make a mistake in an acting class, and then be too lazy to get out of it. That's how you get in acting. Well, we'll, we'll keep that part out of the book, maybe. So, <laughs> well, you know, and 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 obviously, throughout all these years and being in film and television, you've had the opportunity to lend your name and likeness to causes like this one. Why is it? We'll get specifically into this cause, but why has it been so important for you to be heard on things that impact the communities who've seen a lot of your work? Well, 
for me, and it's extremely personal for me and my writing partner, uh, Jeannie Roshar. Um, we've also now working with the pancreatic uh, cancer, uh, you know, different different uh, parts of it, uh, preventive and uh, information as well. But for, for me, um, about 15 years ago now, right at 16, my dad got sick. It was December when he got really sick, started feeling odd. And by January 15th uh, of that next year, cancer had taken him, pancreatic cancer. I, I was actually, I was on a TV show at that time called um, Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> I was in the middle of shooting an episode. I went home, uh, went home. He was in the hospital for a while. And uh, he got out of the hospital, and, and and here's how bad, here's how crazy it was then, and this is why I'm really into helping in every way I can. He wasn't diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and stage four until the day before he died. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, he was sick. He was in and out of the hospital. They were finding cells in his stomach fluid. I went down to see him. He come. He gets home. And I told him, I'll be back next week. I just have a couple more days to shoot on this episode, and I'll be back next week to see you. That was on a Wednesday. Uh, left there Thursday, basically. And then uh, Saturday, I get a phone call that he was in the hospital again, uh, and they had just diagnosed it, stage four. And by before morning came that next day, which was my son's birthday, he was gone. So it was the fastest, most surreal way of losing someone. Uh, and since then, me, uh, then my writing partners, um, dad later passed away from it. He had a, he had much longer, uh, after he was diagnosed because things had come so much further by then, but being black and in the South, like before we knew what happened, it had hit him and he was gone. So uh, I, it's definitely something personal to me. My son and I did lots of marches. We raised a lot of money, um, and and still do uh, because it is something that means it means everything to me. It was a horrible way to watch someone go, and a surreal way to see it happen so fast and be blindsided by it and be in the dark about it. So whatever we can do to help raise funds or get awareness out and get rid of some misinformation, uh, I am a hundred percent all about that. You know, Elvin, that's been one of the things that you guys have talked about is is when your mother was able to notice in your father some things that they hadn't been talked about, about him being jaundiced and, and his skin and everything. Um, have we come far enough in the way information is given to the person with the cancer now? Or do we still have a really, really steep way to go to make sure people understand what, what's happening to them? It's it's not even close. Uh, we're not we. I don't think we've hit the tip of the iceberg as far as getting that information out, um, getting people to um, be advocate uh, advocates for their themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because just like my mom, you know, she was a nurse. She's a, she is a nurse. She's right. an RN, and without her having that information or that um, because of her previous experiences in hospitals and things to look for. Um, my dad probably would have passed away a lot faster. Wow. Um, he actually um, exceeded the prognosis. Um, he was only given. It's bothering the heck out of me. He, he was only given um, six months to live. Um, wow. but, he, but he lived 18 months. Yeah. And he ended up actually 
dying from not necessarily the pancreatic cancer, but complications. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we haven't even hit the tip of the iceberg because we have we are up against especially um, African-Americans and people who are, are disproportionately a, a affected mm-hmm. by by the world yeah, <laughs> in general. Yeah, yeah. They don't get the information. They don't they don't they don't have. Um, people advocating for them. They don't have the best insurance. They don't mm-hmm. have the best housing. They right. don't have the best doctors. Mm-hmm. You know, they're on Medicaid, Medicare. So the doctors are doing whatever they can. They're looking at them just like my father, right. for instance. Right. You know, treated for the symptoms: back pain, um, um, lower back pain, stomach pains, yeah. loss of weight, yeah. and um, diagnosed with diabetes. Even though, you know, diabetes was a part of my family's tree. Yeah, but my dad was 60 years old, so he, you know, to be diagnosed at that late term right, right. was a sign in itself right. of possible pancreatic cancer or possibly something else. But he was treated for several months for those symptoms mm-hmm. when if he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at that time, we would have had a jump yeah. on, the, on the disease. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? And I'll ask you both, if you, what does it mean? You said to have a jump, and, and Gary talked about how fast you know, his father succumbed to it. If you find out at a really early stage, what does that do? What does that mean? It gives you a better chance. It it gives you a better chance because you have better treatment. Um, They have certain hospitals like um, um, MD Anderson and and other that they won't even take you. They they might we apply for it. We tried to go to MD Anderson, but my my dad was too far gone. They you know because they're about results. They're about positive results. So they're not going to even mess with you if. They think that they can't save you, yeah. Because they're all about saving, yeah. So if you if they catch it early enough, they can say, okay, we might can do A, B, or C, a Whipple procedure, or, or certain certain things that that a person who's late term yeah. diagnosis may not afford them the opportunity. Gary, yeah, like my my dad never had a chance. Exactly what you said, like a Whipple procedure. He never had a chance at any of that because his diagnosis literally was the day before he died. So he never had a chance of any of that. And, you know, like you're saying, all the symptoms there. And I know that that was 15 years ago now or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but all those symptoms were there, like, you know, early on. But by the time anyone realized what was happening, it was way too late. And, and I know you guys work with them, too, but with less wind. Right, right now I'm doing a, a series of um, short-form videos because of stuff like uh, like what he was just saying, that we're trying to raise awareness for pancreatic cancer. So I'm going to be putting out a whole bunch of stuff on TikTok, you know, for everybody, but especially to our community. Because, mm-hmm. you know, people see things more through the shade of how things hit them. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, being where I'm from and who I was around, and that pe- there's certain things in life that they're just not equal opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So to try to at least level that playing field some uh, to make it a a more fair fight Um, that's what I'm into right now what do y'all think about the the factor of us as men not always wanting to speak up when things aren't happening right within our bodies and just kind of I'm just going to tough it out I'm going to go you know where in some cases we can be our own worst enemy because we don't speak up and say there's a pain that I've had for a few days that I didn't have before or something's going on Uh, your thoughts on that and then how do we encourage that out of our peer group and then the next generation yeah um that that's so true my father was a farmer 
you, hey, he grew up in New Rose, yeah. just like just like yeah, in, yeah, in Morganza. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we had cows and we had hogs. We, you know, we had um, we we were growing vegetables yeah, and, uh, and yeah. all that type of stuff. So he was a uh, hardcore. Yeah. You know, and and so just like you said, the yeah. little pains and stuff we deal with every day as yeah. men. Yeah. You know, women go to the get their mammograms. Yeah, they yeah, go. Yeah, they, sure. you know, they they constantly at a young age. That's right. Are taught to. Go to the doctor, get checkups, absolutely, and all that. And us as men, tough it, it's out. almost a toe. Yeah, it's suck almost, it up, boy. Yeah, you know what? What am I going to the doctor because my toe hurt? You know, you might be having toe main <laughs> parts and right. something. You know, right. <laughs> right. you could it, could it could be anything. You know, but we we tough it out. Sure. Um, even to, I mean, my if it wasn't for what my dad went through, you know, everything has a a, a purpose. Yeah. And with me with me having the information of what he dealt with, it changed my perspective on my health. Right. And so those type of things, you know, we, we just have to your, your, your bros that you talk to every day about football, about this. And you, you would you would it, it would be funny to listen to some of the conversation I have with my bros because yeah. we actually be talking about where you're going to the doctor to do yeah. this. And, you know, yeah. th those conversations just wasn't had back back in the day. Gary, what do you think about that? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it's scary how similar our at least that part of us, like literally grew up raising and slaughtering hogs in a <laughs> big farm. <laughs> my dad and my dad was the same, like old World War Two veteran. Yeah, Vietnam. he was. You know, like he expected to have to hurt. He was right. older. Luckily, <laughs> right. he did make it. He made it older. You know, mm -hmm, he, got, yeah. he was in. He was low eighties when he. He was eighty two when he passed. Wow. He was about to be eighty two. Mm. Um, so it all hit him very late. So I, there's definitely fortune in that that he had really had a chance. To live, but he was one of those guys, you know, if, if something was hurting him bad enough, he was going to go to the doctor, but right. if not, he expected to be in pain, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He was old and black, I expect to hurt. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, I, the other part that is so similar is that his passing and watching that definitely made me way more open, and if I feel anything, I'm going to go get it checked right. out. Yeah. I'm not going to just go, my body will take care of itself because mm -hmm. certain things your body can't take care of. And and now there's so many clinical trials. The, another thing mm -hmm. for, for me, too, and I'm sure you feel the same way, Elvin, is that like trying to get rid of some of the misinformation as well. Like there are clinical right. trials, and you know they do placebos in normal things in clinical trials, but in the pancreatic, people aren't really getting placebos. They're really giving them trial medicines. Mm -hmm. So to, to let people know, don't think that you're going to be wasted by getting a sugar pill, by right. by helping somebody. Like, there's a lot going on out there that people need to understand, especially from the time that my dad passed away, mm -hmm. uh, that has changed and that can make lives longer and better and hopefully find a cure. Let's talk a little bit about the event that's that's going to be going on. It's it's virtual this year. I mean, you know, the coronavirus has had an impact on so many fundraisers like this one. Tell us what the event will look like and and how people can get involved. Yeah, um, the event is November the twelfth, which is next Friday yeah. at at seven p.m. And it will um, it's a just like you said, it's a virtual event. Sure. We um, we started last year with COVID. Mm -hmm. um, prior to that, we were having banquets. Um, and it's our it's our fundraiser, and it actually um, a lot of people probably go virtual yeah. and stay virtual, yeah. Because to be honest, it, it's a lot less, a lot, lot more cost effective. Yes. <laughs> I yes. put it that way, you know. So really, the purpose of it is 
um, as far as raising money, it, it always works out better mm -hmm. virtually. Um, but we will have people like um, Congressman Troy Carter and uh, Representative Ted James right. um, coming in speaking. Of course, Gary, yeah. who's who's on there, giving us um, um, a, a statement about what their what they what their history of, mm -hmm. of of dealing with pancreatic cancer and how they feel. Um, organizations like like sure. um, the Pan PCAF is is doing to assist in, in helping those people. Um, our main goal this this year is to speak on um, a cure because yeah. we we want everybody to know that it's not a death sentence. You know, when we first, to be honest, five five years ago when we when we launched this thing, you know, pancreatic cancer the first year it probably was a lot more somber. And when we look yeah. back on our our event, it, it was almost you know it it was so we're trying to uplift it. We're yeah. we're trying to make people know mm -hmm. that when you're diagnosed with this, that don't mean it's a death sentence. Yeah, don't quit. Don't quit. There, yeah. there. You know, let's let's fight. Yeah. Last year was live, um, um, fight, live, and win. Yeah. Um, this year is is pathway to a cure. So we have a representative from Johnson and Johnson coming on and speaking on trials and things that they have out there um, that's going on. I, I just read the other day there that there's a blood test now. Mm. That people will be because with pancreatic cancer, there is no test. Right, there is nothing. You know, you just like you go in and you have your mammograms and you feel okay. You got a lump. Yeah. Um. Then okay, you, you know, let's let's go a little further treatment. with this. Yeah. So so that's what we are we're leaning on. Um. Let's let's get the information out that this is how we're going to get to this cure. This is how we're going to live. This is how mm -hmm. we're going to make it through this, and we're going to make it through this together. There are people who are have survived this. We yeah. have. We have 10-year survivors, 11-year survivors that are going to be highlighted right. on our virtual event. Um, so, you know, so we, we just it's, it's more about getting that information out and also highlighting the fact that there are disparities in health yeah. um, that affects everything. 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 I yeah. mean, if you, <laughs> you can put anything, you can fill in a blank. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so anything out there so it's, it's especially the same with some something that's hidden like pancreatic cancer where yeah. there is no test yeah you know gary and, and elvin hit on it a second ago everything from understanding what something will do to you to all to all the way to understanding what you can do to help yourself is different depending on the community mm. that you are in and i think that is one barrier one bridge we can try to build so people can cross is let them understand hey this is serious it can take you out however if you want to help yourself here are some avenues you can take what do you think about that absolutely i mean that's that's exactly what has to be done because people don't even think like you were just talking elvin about people living with it like mm -hmm. then there's there's so many long-term survivors yeah. and then just managing managing your life with pancreatic cancer mm -hmm. like like you just said, it's not a death sentence, and never, never just accept one opinion, mm -hmm. one doctor's opinion. It Dude. is like suck up all the information you can because there are people out there living with it now, and sooner or later, hopefully, as Elvin said, we'll be beating it. Right. So, a absolutely, the more you can get into whatever community it is, and especially our community, yeah. Um, the more you can get in there and the more often you can get in there, the better. So people understand, don't don't write your final check because you think that's it. Like, right, yeah. No, there's so much more and so much information, so many more treatments, mm -hmm. um, so many more trials out there mm -hmm. um, that it's worth exploring and should be.
there's there've been so many diseases and sicknesses over the years that people thought were death sentences Man. now are very survivable right. because people were mm-hmm. committed to finding a cure and and the coalition grew over time to where yeah. we weren't scared or something but it's the information you're that's where that, that's where it's began you're begins, hitting the right? nail. Yeah, yeah you're hitting the nail on the head yeah. i mean that's just like breast cancer yeah now you you watch a football game i mean through through breast everybody know when breast cancer month is yes everybody know the color that yes <laughs> And and, Absolutely. and everybody's connected to it. Right. You know, everybody don't know that November is pancreatic cancer right. month. Right. You know, you don't you know, because the knowledge, the information mm-hmm. haven't been spread to right. to the part, point where we need it to be spread. Yeah. You know, we want to be like because breast cancer was back then, believe it or not, it was a death it was a sentence. death sentence. That's right. Look at yeah. um, even though prostate cancer is not as as prevalent as far as being pronounced and yeah. out there, but it's another disease that that you know treatments have gone a long way, and That's men right. are surviving right. with prostate cancer. Yeah. So, we, I mean, you get you get even more. Look at AIDS. AIDS was a one percent death sentence wow. until Magic Johnson. Listen, yeah. he's healthier now <laughs> looking than he was back then. Right, right, <laughs> so, right, right. So, you take a pick if you take a page out of those books you see mm-hmm. the possibility mm-hmm. and that's what you got to not only take a page out of that book but rewrite that book you see the possibilities of it so it is possible with the stuff like what elvin is doing like it's possible stuff like what what let's win is doing it's mm-hmm. possible you just got to get that knowledge out there more people concerned more dollars go towards it right. because unfortunately in this world those do- dollars mean everything mm-hmm, in a dude. fight like this right well, Elvin, tell people where they can find out about the fundraiser and the foundation. Um, well, we we are on on all social media um, yeah. platforms, um, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Yeah, you know we we have a YouTube channel. Yeah, um, of course the the um, banquet will be broadcast on our YouTube channel yep. and on our website, which yep. is Elvin Howard Senior Pancreatic. Cancer Advocacy Foundation. Now, I've gotten used to saying it. Listen, man, I I have to take my time getting down it when I start. (laughs) But but EH will we 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 shorten it, and and you and you're going to get there. I don't see your bracelet on, by the way. Your bracelet. But but um but we're we're we shorten it. We call Elvin Howard Senior PCAF to shorten it. God bless you for that. But if you Google, if you just go to. Um, Google or whatever and put in EHS PCAF PCAF you'll see everything you'll right. see see our um, uh, website in addition to information about our virtual event yeah. and other things now we do have um, uh, our telephone number is 225-800-7448 that's 225-800-7448 if you want to contact us um Donate, donate, donate. Yeah. We have donate Cash. tags all over the place yes. uh, on, on our website. So please send us your money so we can we can help fight this fight. Listen, a buddy of mine. And just so on, people know, on on instant on Instagram, you're actually Elvin Howard PCAF, right? That whole name spelled out first, and then yeah. P C A F. Right. Yeah. Right. And Gary, what about you on social? Where can people keep up with you and and hear and see what you got going on? Hey, look, a lot of people are going to love me, and a lot of people are going to hate me. Okay, let's just get that clear right now. Uh, on Instagram, I'm uh, at Gary Anthony Williams, and on um, Twitter, I'm at Gary A Williams. Well, listen, I appreciate what y'all are doing, man. This is great. And and did you get a bracelet, uh, Gary? <laughs> did you get one of those bracelets? 
No, no. My ne- my wrists are naked so, right now, so naked you, and cold. Man, oh, I wanna, we have man. to sidebar about these bracelets <laughs> right now. Because, I mean, the brother's holding out on us. With, and they're very nice, Gary. They're very, very nice. Yeah, I figured that's what he'd be doing right now. He's probably laying there. He's probably rolling around in a band of bracelets right now. <laughs> well, thank y'all, gentlemen. We appreciate that. Gary, hang on right there. This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story story of workplace violence or active shooter. Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at openeyesafetytraining.com. We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. Without you, this show doesn't happen. So thank you for listening. This is podcast225.com and the Clay Young Show. A lot of great information in that show. Some better than others, right? Talking about the crime in East Baton Rouge Parish. I'm not going to dwell on that. It's happening all around the country. And uh, and the foundation, the great work that Elvin and his family is doing to address and hopefully find a cure for pancreatic cancer is amazing. I'm so honored to sit on their advisory board and I hope you take advantage of the virtual fundraiser, but also that you will commit to giving some money to the foundation in general because it is such a worthwhile cause. And I think that, you know, it, Gary said it earlier, it's like cancer and excuse me, it's like uh, AIDS and some of these other things that we've dealt with that at one time it was like, man, it's over if you get this diagnosis and and now not so much. So yeah, just you got all the contact information supported it's a great 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 cause and i think it's it's really necessary and timely all right with that we appreciate you taking some time to be with us next week a bunch of education leaders from louisiana went to miami to see how school is done there and it's an intriguing piece of information had a conversation about it this morning and we're going to talk about it next week on the clay young show Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.